to that. Only by his amazing grace. Well, I don't know, especially it's good to be together when you come from a a long week. It's been a long week. I don't know about you, but our family has battled this sickness on and on. And um, I should have told you before the five-minute time, maybe, when you shook my hand. Um, no, I'm, I'm not contagious anymore, but I, yeah, I've, I'm on the antibiotics, and I had the pink eye. I mean, I've had, I've just been all over this stuff. Um, but I, it's okay, I'm not contagious anymore, so they say. But it's, uh, so they say. But it's one of those things, you know, when you're just kind of drained and you're just kind of in the midst of what's been a long time, how good it is to just come and breathe and sense the presence of God at work and give thanks. Well, if you've been a part of our reading uh, this week, you know that uh, we were reading in the book of Judges and looking at the book of Judges. And, and uh, after Joshua had, had uh, left, uh, had led Israel into occupying the promised land, the people of Israel served the Lord throughout his lifetime. But when Joshua and his generation died, Israel turned away from the Lord. That, that is the pattern we've seen so far, isn't it? Beginning in the beginning in Genesis and moving. This is the pattern of people who draw close to God, of people who are blessed by God, of people who rebel from God, of people who cry out, where have you gone, God? And this cycle that just goes back and forth and back and forth through the people of God and maybe even through the people of God today. Gideon was the sixth judge of Israel. Remember in this period of time that uh, Joshua, after Joshua's death, the people of Israel were in this loose-knit group of, of tribes and prophets and judges were raised up by God in the midst of those down moments, in those moments where God's people began to cry out. God raises someone up to, to try to guide them, to, to try and to lead them. This week in our reading, we, we looked at judges. We, we looked at Deborah. We looked at Samson. We looked at Gideon. And um, it's a great lesson in the reminder that, that God, as we've seen thus far as well, God is in the business of using people um, that are the least likely candidates. God uses Deborah. He uses a woman when women were not seen as equal. God uses Samson. When uh, we had our Wednesday night class, one of the questions I asked was, you know, it seems unlikely that God would use Samson. Uh, why, what, why is it unlikely? I mean, what, what is it about Samson? And one of the persons spoke up and said, because he's dumb. And I said, you're right. I mean, it's totally true. I was sitting around with our kids. One of the blessings of, of doing the story as a church together is we're doing it in all age groups. And, and so we sit around in our living room and we read around the story and we're, we're reading through the story of Samson. And my kids stop and go, what is up with this guy? I mean, why does he go back to Delilah every time? Well, he's dumb. And so are we. For we see in God's story our own story. But this morning I want to spend our time talking a little bit more about Gideon. Let's look at it. Gideon's weakness and God's strength. The story opens. The Midianites have pretty much terrorized the Israelites. The Midianites are thick as locusts. And remember, these are a people who come from Egypt. They understand what thick locusts look like. The Midianites have terrorized them. They've not just terrorized the people, but they, they swoop in upon them. They steal anything they have. They come and they eat their food. And what food they don't eat, they feed to their animals. And what food they don't eat to their animals, they, they, they stomp out and, and, and just trample underfoot. The terrorism was so bad that the Israelites were forced to hide in mountains or in caves. The day that the angel of the Lord comes to him, Gideon 
is in the wine press. He's hiding in the wine press. He's, 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 trying, to, he's trying to prepare dinner. He's trying to put some food away. He's trying to do some work, but, but he's hiding in the wine press because if he doesn't, the Midianites will come in, and, and if they see, and he'll do all the work, and they'll come in and harvest all the things that he has done. We're going to look at a good portion of the Gideon story, but, but I want us to at least read the call of Gideon. It's in Judges chapter 6, and I'd invite you to stand for the reading of the word. Judges chapter 6, beginning at verse 11, says, The angel of the Lord came, sat down under the oak at Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abyssalite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress, keeping it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon and said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all uh, his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us at the hand of Midian. Just a little note, Midian was one of the numerous people that took over. And I think they've been under the hand of Midian about seven years now. Why are they there? Because once again, there are people who have walked away from God's plan for their life. It goes on, verse 14. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in strength that you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in all of Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. And the Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. You can be seated. Gideon is not exactly, we get a picture here, we get a picture in other places. Gideon is not exactly a, a robust leader. He isn't the Arnold Schwarzenegger or the Sylvester Stallone of his day. In fact, the, the word picture that I get of Gideon, when I picture Gideon, I, I picture him more like Barney Fife. You know, kind of deputy Barney Fife from TV's Andy Griffith, the guy who was only allowed one bullet, who, who got scared of his own shadow, who was just a weak guy and talked real big but didn't really want to do much. That's the picture that I get of Gideon. Gideon is, is the most reluctant of the prophets. When the angel of the Lord says, uh, I am with you, you mighty warrior, I imagine that Gideon came unglued in that moment. I imagine he jumped sky high. I imagine he nearly fainted. Gideon was anything but a mighty warrior. And even after he's convinced that he's talking with an angel of the Lord, he, he still needs some kind of sign. And so uh, the angel gives Gideon proof. Gideon had prepared for him some meat and, and some, some bread. And, and so the, the angel gives him proof with a snap of a finger. The whole meal just goes up in flames. Poof, it's gone. Well, Gideon begins to think just maybe he's being called, but I don't think he really likes it. He is, he is reluctant about the whole thing. God tells him to go get his father's second bull, the seven-year-old one, and go and, and pull down the altar of Baal with it, and in its place, build an altar to God. So Gideon, the mighty warrior that he is, waits until dark when no one can see him because he is afraid, and he takes some servants with him, and they do as instructed Gideon, when you look at him on the outside, a little like Phil's box, when you look at him on the outside, we, we don't see the characteristics of a mighty warrior. But it is obvious that God saw something different. God saw something within him that he could use. I read about a grandmother who took her grandson, a grandson that uh, uh, red hairs and lots of freckles, reminds me of my son Harley there. Uh, grandmother took grandson to the zoo and, and they were standing in line. They're having a good day together and they were waiting in line for the face painting. They were doing those uh, 
it was near it was outside the tiger stand. They were putting tiger paws on the face. And there was a there was a girl in line and she turned to the little boy and said, You know, you've got so many freckles, there's no place to paint. And the little boy hung his head. He was embarrassed, he was upset, and his grandma got down and looked at him in the face and said, I love your freckles. When I when I was a little boy, I I always wanted freckles. And and she began to, as only a grandmother can do, trace the freckles on his cheeks, and she said, I think they look great. He said, really? His grandma said, of course. In fact, I don't even think you can name one thing that's prettier to me than freckles. And her grandson looked at her intently and said, wrinkles. The little boy His freckles. Grandma saw something different. Gideon. But he looks on on the outside, this this reluctant judge. One who was a farmer. One who was working in a wine press. One who was fearful. God saw something different. God took Gideon's weakness and transformed it into moments of God's strength. Of course, Gideon really doesn't know how God is going to do that. How, how will he transfer weakness into God's strength? So, so God took Gideon's confusion and transformed it into God's wisdom. We know that, that one of the first things that Gideon did when, when he was confused was, was to put God to the test. Are you sure, Lord? Are you sure this is what you want me to do? Are you sure, God, that this is really what you want? I, I think I need some kind of sign. Now, keep in mind, he's already met with an angel. He's already had the food zapping sign. And still, he wants more. And so he says, God, if this is the real deal, let me, let me just do something that, that only you could do. And I think maybe that Gideon, the reluctant Barney Fife prophet in the midst of this, is thinking this is his way out. He says, God, here's what I want to do. I'm going to take this fleece. This is where we get the idea of, of throwing out a fleece, laying out a fleece. I'm going to take this fleece, God. And, and in the morning, if this is really what you, this, you're really in this, I want the fleece to be wet with dew, but the ground, I want it to be totally dry around that. God says, okay. And that's what he does. Well, Gideon says, well, God, that's, that's good. That's good. But I'm really not sure this is really what you want me to do. Are you sure this is what you want me to do? I know I've had the angel. I know I had the food zap. I know I had the fleece thing. But God, could we, just, could we just do this one more time? Could we really be sure? He says, God, I want to do it a little different this time. This time I want the fleece to be dry in the morning. And I want the ground to be wet. And God says, okay. And he does it. Now, I think the only thing that keeps God from just zapping him at this point and going on to somebody else is the same thing that we've just noticed all the way through as we've been journeying. God chose Abraham. God chose Moses. Last week we talked about the prostitute Rahab. God would choose Peter and Paul, and God would choose you and me. He's in the business often of choosing the least likely people for his purposes so that we don't get any credit, that God alone would be glorified. But it wasn't only this that had Gideon confused. He, he now knows he's stepping out in faith. He's becoming, he's, he's obeying. He might not be real sure what he's doing, but he's obeying what God wants him to do. And so he puts together an army. He pulls together 32,000 soldiers, which I think is pretty impressive to pull together on short notice. The problem is that the Midianites have 135,000 soldiers. Over four times as many. This is where it gets a little confusing because, because God comes to Gideon and he says, uh, Gideon, I, I've been reviewing the, the troop 
ratios. And I think Gideon said, oh, I have two. I have two. He says, Gideon, I think there's a problem. I think Gideon probably thought, I have, I know, I know there's a problem. God says, Gideon, you have too many. What do you mean I have too many? I mean, it doesn't write this down, but I mean, this is the Barney Fife. This is the reluctant guy. You know what he's thinking inside, right? What do you mean I have too many? He says, God says, I'll tell you what I want you to do. I want you to announce to people, if they don't want to fight, if they, if they're just, if they don't want it or they're scared, let them go home. Well, this is the army of God. I mean, they've seen God do all kinds of things. How many people really are going to walk away? They, they know the power of God. They've seen him work before. Gideon makes his speech. 22,000 people say, we're out of here. And they go home. Gideon's left with 10,000 soldiers. God says, Gideon, I've been reviewing the, uh, the troop ratios. I think Gideon says, yeah, me too. Gideon, you still have too many. Take them down to the water, and based on how they drink, God weeded out another 9,700. There are only 300 and Gideon to go against the well-trained soldiers of 135,000 Midianite warriors who have been brutally oppressive. They know how to oppress. They know how to fight. There is no way they could defeat the Midianites. There's no way that they could drive them from their land that they have taken from them. But then if you know the story, they didn't have to. God did all the work. God allowed and empowered their efforts to be successful. It was a wisdom that came from God that was far beyond any wisdom that they ever understood. You see, the crux of this passage isn't about Gideon. This passage is about God. It's about what God can do. It's about what God can do with with someone who who follows after their calling. You see, the key to understanding the whole thing is chapter 7, verse 2. It says this, the Lord says to Gideon, The troops with you are too many for me to give to the Midianites into their land, into their hand. Israel would only take the credit away from me, saying, my hand has delivered me. So God whittled the numbers down. God whittled them down so that God would get the glory, so that there's no way that anyone on earth could think that 300 could overpower the Midianite troops by themselves without God. It would be impossible with God. We find it nothing is impossible. In the midst of of their own confusion and in the midst of our own confusion, if we will learn to rely on the wisdom of God, sometimes God handles it in ways that we never even saw coming. And that's exactly what happened to Gideon and the 300 men. And the way that we show reliance on God, upon His wisdom, is simply through our obedience. Gideon's obedience led to God's victory. How do we show that we actually rely in in, in the circumstances of our life? How do we show that we rely on God? It is through our obedience. God can take the spirit of obedience and turn it into victory. Gideon had no idea how God would defeat the Midianites with only 300 men. But because Gideon had faith, he obeyed and he trusted. Even when the circumstances were, he didn't understand them all, he obeyed. And God was able to use his obedience. Now, if you read the passages this week, you know how he did it. If you didn't, go back and look it up. It's quite a story. Sometimes for us, it takes, it takes simple obedience to hear God's call. It, it might seem trivial. 
But what God is interested in is our willingness to follow. And our willingness and our obedience can be transformed into a powerful tool for God's kingdom. I heard a story years ago of a missionary who was... um, and, and a group of helpers who were, who were traveling. They, were, they were, had gone to buy uh, a bunch of supplies for, for their clinic and for a medical team that was coming. But they got a late start and the weather wasn't cooperating. They weren't going to make it home. And they had to camp on the way home of their journey. They were a little fearful of that because uh, um, there were these rogue tribes around and they had all of these things, and, but there was nothing they could do. Darkness had fallen. And so they camped on the top of a hill and they prayed before they went to sleep and just said, Lord... We trust you to protect us. And they went to bed. Just a couple of months later, one of the rogue chiefs uh, was brought into the mission hospital and he asked the missionaries, where, where are the soldiers that are here? Well, the missionary said, we, we don't have any soldiers. And he said, well, yes, the, the missionaries have soldiers that protect them. So the missionary pressed the chief a little more for the details and, and the chief told them that at that night they had, they had watched them. They had watched them buy all of the supplies and all of the things and they, had, they, had watched, they saw that they had camped. Their intention was to go and to rob them. And, and, and so they gathered together and they went to the hill where they were and yet there were 27 soldiers surrounding the hill. And they said, the chief said, they were the biggest warriors we'd ever seen. And so we left you alone. Well, the missionary heard that story and thought, man, isn't that awesome? God protected us in the midst of that place. So about a year later, he was back home on, on furlough and he was in the States and he was visiting one of his sponsoring congregations. And during that time, he told that story of just this great provision of God, how God had walked with them and taken care of them in the midst of that. And he'd finished that story and he was moving on to something else. And there was a man in the congregation who stood up and he said, you know, I hate to interrupt. I'm, I apologize for that. But, but um, do, you, do you remember when, when this took place and missionary thought back. It had been a year. He gave him a rough idea that he recalled and, and the man turned white. He said, I was here at the church for choir practice and choir practice had gotten over and, and, uh, and you know, you, you've been here before. We, we pray for you. We pray for our missionaries. And, and I was getting ready to leave and it's just like he said, something came over me and it just said, I, I needed to go to prayer for you. And, it's, and so I, I thought, well, okay. And so I gathered a couple people that were around there and, and in fact, it he says, it was, kind of, it was kind of awkward. I actually, we actually called some people on the phone, some guys, and said, you know, come back. Uh, come back. I just, we feel like we really need to be praying for, for our missionary. And so we came and, and, and we prayed. We didn't really understand why it was kind of odd, but we, we prayed for you. And the missionary was so blessed by that. And he asked the men that were there if, if, uh, if they had been a part of that prayer to stand up because he wanted to thank them. And men all over the sanctuary began to stand up. And there were 27 of them. 27 men who had been obedient to God in a moment where you think, what is, what's that about, really? What, why would I do that? And yet God used it to connect a bunch of dots to a people who realize the power of God at work even when we don't always connect the dots ourselves. And that's the point. Gideon and the 300 men were the least likely heroes, but they were obedient. And there is no telling what God can do with us when we say, I don't always understand God, but I will be obedient 
to where you have me go. It doesn't make a difference what talents you have or what lack of talents that you have. God uses what you have no matter what. All God asks is that you take the gifts and the talents that you have and you lay them in his hands and simply obey. That's what won the day for Gideon and the Israelites. They obeyed. God took Gideon's weakness and made it God's strength. God took Gideon's confusion and made it God's wisdom. God took Gideon's obedience and made it God's victory. You know, Jesus did the same thing with the 12 disciples. He took the least likely of this group of people and he turned over the mission of the church and he put it in their hands. The mission of the church, just in in regular people's hands, people like tax collectors and political uh, zealots and fishermen. and And he gave them the good news of the gospel and he said, go, make disciples. You're my plan A, just in the regular people of the day. And I think it's a great story, and I think Gideon's a great story, and I think it's great to think about the disciples, and I think that's all good stuff. But if we only allow that to be the story of God that we tell, that's written down for us to see, and don't let find ways to let that intersect the story of our own life, then I think we miss the whole thing. See, the question is not what has God done. The question is what is God doing? The question for you is what is God calling you to do? And you say, I I don't have what it takes or I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do. Well, yes, you do. Because the answer is simple. What he wants is your obedience. God takes care of the rest. God takes care of the rest. What he, what he really wants to say is, when, when, when you don't really know all that's going to take place, will you follow me? Will you go where I tell you to go? And will you be the person I've called you to be? See, if God can use 300 people to defeat 135,000, what could God do with us in this room? See, that's where God's story intersects our story. If God can do that, then what could God do with a group of people in this room that says, I will do what you call me to do? We want to see God move in our community. We believe that God wants our church to to, to be a church of influence that influences our community. We believe that God has blessings and opportunities and ministry places and and relationships to be healed and and people to be discipled. We believe in all of those things. We believe that God wants to grow us not only in number, but God wants to grow us in depth, to be a people grounded in Him and grounded in His Word and and to raise families that that are discipled and, and are part of the kingdom and live that kingdom out. You think you're facing the impossible this morning. You think that your marriage is about to break. You're worried about the direction of your kids. You're in the midst of a situation you're not even sure how to get through on the other side. If God can use 300 people, don't you think God can use you? The problem is that we hear that. But we must be a people who start to live like we believe it. I mean, it's a good story. But if we're really to be the people that God calls us to be, we have to begin to live like we believe that God really could do something with us. Not because of our own talents and gifts, but because of who He is. For God can take our weaknesses and give strength 
God can take our confusion and give wisdom, but it takes our obedience to share in God's victory. I love this church. I love this community. I don't want to be mediocre. I want to make a difference for the kingdom. I want to make a difference in the lives of people. I want to see people discipled and grow and to be who God has called them to be. And I think that God calls us to that. I think that God finds us today in this room sitting in our wine press. I think God calls us in places that we are fearful of the things that are, that are taking place in the news and all of the things that take place. I think He finds us in our wine press and He calls our name and He says, I am the Lord, you mighty warrior. And I think we look at Him like Gideon. But He's calling you by name. He's calling you by name. I am the Lord, you mighty warrior. I will be with you. Would you be one of the 300? Stand with me, would you? Father, thank you today that you have met with us in this place. Our desire has been to worship. Our desire has been to to sing songs that tell stories, Psalm 136, or, or the faithfulness of, of uh, St. Patrick, or all those who've gone before. We've sung words about history. We've sung words about who you are. We've invited you in our presence. But God, if that's all there is, we want to be a people... We want to be a people who you find in the wine press. We recognize our inadequacies. We recognize our fears. We recognize that we, we are not a people that, that, that even understand all the places that you call us to go. But we want to be a people who hear your voice when you say, I am with you, you mighty warrior. We want to be a people who obey you more today than we did yesterday. We want to be a people whose lives mean something. We want to live in ways that we actually believe that you are the God who created all things. And all things are possible with you. And in the midst of our tough places, in the midst of our Midianite moments, you are with us. So, Father, help us to believe a little stronger. Give us the faith to walk out of this place as people who are called by you. We might not always understand and we might not always know where we're going. We might not always. But would you help us be a people who recognize that with you, all things are possible. What joy there is in knowing that you go with us. What hope there is in knowing that we are not alone. Use us for your kingdom. Use us so that people see you lived out in our lives until all your children find their way home. And we ask it in your name. Amen. Lord bless you as you go.